I am really excited this morning to welcome a few folks to our pulpit. Our theme is the goodness of God. And if you have one of our t-shirts, you see that it says God is good. God has been good. God will be good. And God is good. And those are the preaching assignments for our three preachers this morning who will each preach short messages encouraging us in these three. Pastor Michael Washington will begin. I've asked him to preach first because in many ways his memory goes back the longest as it relates to the, the church planting process. He was serving on ministry staff at the church that sent us deeply involved with discerning those early days, uh, uh, significantly involved and remains involved in our congregation. God has been good. Is that correct? And then I'm thrilled to have Minister Tim White from New Community Logan Square with us this morning. We needed our, our sending church to be involved. And so he will be preaching from the theme, God will be good. And then our own Pastor Michelle reflecting on the essential goodness of God that that just is who God is. And depending on whether they stick to time or not, I might say a couple of things, but you hear from me regularly. So if, if not, that's okay too. Let me pray for them. Join me. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to intentionally and purposefully give you thanks and praise. I am exceedingly aware that the list that we have of things to thank you for is so incomplete. What you have done for us that we will never know the harm you have kept us from, the gifts you have led us into, the relationships that seems like we just stumbled into but had the purpose of heaven behind them. Uh, That list is immeasurably longer than what we know to thank you for today. So as best we can, we thank you for it all, for what we know and for what we don't know, for what we remember and for what we have forgotten, for what we carry in our bodies of your goodness and your faithfulness and that which escaped our attention. We thank you for it all. Thank you for these three uh, ministers of your word. Thank you, Spirit of the living God, for what you have given them for us today. Speak to them as they speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you welcome Michael Washington, please? So I don't see a clock. And so before, before, before my minutes start, before my minutes start, because it takes me as long as he gave me to tell one story. But before my minutes start, I want to say that our pastor was my best friend before this, this assignment. I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying, um, I thought he loved me. And then he told me how much time I had for today. And he knows me. Acts 1 and 12. Don't stand, because I'll get lost in time. We normally stand, stand when Pastor Michelle gets up. (laughs) Acts 1 and 12 says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Why talk about The goodness of God that has been. Why do we as a church on anniversary Sunday talk about the goodness that was? Why not just look forward with a clear sense that what was is now gone? Why not just leave our yesterdays with God as moments that are forgotten and gaze into the coming possibilities ahead? Especially when we see bad in the backgrounds. Isn't looking at the moment easier? 
isn't looking out toward a future more faithful for people of resurrected from death faith. Friends, obviously, I'm here to say that this quality of God's past is not restricted to the past. This quality of God's being that is before is not restricted to before. God's goodness then makes God's goodness available in every moment. But why turn entirely for at least 8 or 10 or 12 minutes to God's having been good? We turn there because we don't know current goodness or future goodness without yesterday's goodness. We don't know God now without knowing God then. We look at what we saw in order to enable what we will see. Don't talk to me, I'll get confused. The apostles in our text were between the ravishing and unforgettable experience of encountering the resurrected Jesus. Watching him vanish into the overhead heavens. And being told of his return by two men dressed in white. They had to be crowded by memories of all that Jesus did and much of what he said. I I can hear them amongst themselves talking of his miracles again, his teachings again, almost the way they had after he died, those long hours after his body was in the grave. Can you hear them? Can you see them post-ascension having a similar but different conversation? Telling of his wonders and recalling his meaningful teachings, which must have taken new depth by being ratified by the power that conquered death and the grave. Can you see them huddling with renewed fervor now that he had successfully beat execution and done the politically and physiologically incredible? He, after all, rose from the grave. He, after all, showed a power unquenchable. Their group of mismatched disciples had done the astounding by joining together. And their leader was untouchable. However, he was now physically untouchable. He was gone. Say the word gone. After having departed Under the most remarkable of circumstances, Jesus was gone. Before they knew what awaited, they knew what happened. Before the next moment, they knew in their bones the prior moments. Before Pentecost, they knew he was gone. And they had wandering over their minds what had been. And I park here for us to reflect upon the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of God. You see, it's normal when you look at the current situation to see a departed Jesus. It's normal, normal to feel the same winds which took him up, leaving you chilled without him. It's normal to feel the gap of loss as you consider how great having him back actually felt. Normal to wonder, could I have done anything to keep him any longer? It is normal to feel how small your hands are when you try to hold a God who cannot be held. What is harder, friends, and not so normal is going back for the goodness. See, when the good God leaves, the shock numbs us to the good. 
When the good God goes, the shock steals or tries to steal our hope. And we as people are negatively biased. I'm about done. Just, we, we, have, we have to go back and be intentional about retrieving the goodness of God. When he's gone, you have to make yourself look to when he wasn't. I was reading a colleague's manuscript on lost trauma and growth this past week and the week before. And in it, among several topics, uh, she writes of a role in healing taken by rehearsal of the past. She talks about rumination and, and we ruminate over the past. You know this. We, we return and rehearse like choruses over the past in order to grieve and to heal and to grow. What if this idea emerging from neuroscience and emotional health and psychology uh, relates to life with God in the faith community? And in decided consideration of milestones like this anniversary. Ruminating on the past goodness of God. Ushers us into healed pasts. Healed memories. And pasts which possess opportunity for growth. In the pasts. God was good to these apostles who looked back and who looked ahead. That God-given goodness anchored them the way it anchors us. It is worth our rumination and it keeps us centered against negativity and faithlessness. It keeps us, this rehearsal like a chorus, honest and set against lies, of dishonesty, deception, and discouragement. And if God was good, you were good. If God was good, I was good. If God was good, then. In the messy moment, God was good and you were good. In the tumultuous times, God had been good and you not seeing it had been good. These apostles may have seen crosses and floggings, but there was still good there. See, I'm done. God has been good. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you. And I have to say this. I've listened to Pastor Michael preach over the years and Pastor Michelle, but I've never preached alongside of them. So this is a beautiful opportunity. So I'm grateful for that. As was mentioned, I do come to you from New Community, Logan Square. My wife and I, uh, my family's in the back row, and uh, we've been there for 14 years. So I'm proud to say that we were there when New Community, Bronzeville, was commissioned and sent out. And so it's been wonderful to see what God has done in this community over the past 13 years. So thank you, Pastor David, for welcoming me. And I'm sure you all know that your pastor doesn't invite anybody up here. So I'm truly honored to be here. So God has been good and God will be good. And I'm going to minister from Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. One more time. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. 
He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So the context, just a little bit about this passage, is we're looking at the history of the children of Israel. If you know what's happening with them right now, they've been going through the wilderness for 40 years. And now they are about to go into the promised land. So they've witnessed God's goodness. They've looked at what has been, what God has done. And in fact, if you read the book of Deuteronomy throughout, it's a huge book of remembrance to remember what God has done. Remember when your clothes did not wear out. Remember when he fed you. Remember when he gave you water. So there's a reflection on what God has done. But now they're getting ready to go into new territory. They're going into a place they've never been before. They're going into the promised land, and with that brings all kinds of challenges, new opportunities, but more than anything, the unknown. So what do I do with the unknown? And I'm sure New Community Bronzeville, you've had a lot of unknowns. You've had those moments where you weren't sure what was coming next. And as you reflect today, you think about the past 13 years, but you might have a question in your mind. What do the next 13 look like? New building, no new building, all of the challenges and changes that come. And so you wonder, you think about what has been, but what will be? What will God do? Well, I'd like to encourage you today from this passage as Moses is um, admonishing the people and reminding them of what God has done. But here's where you're going. Joshua will now lead the people into the promised land. There will be giants. There will be challenges. But know this. The Lord goes before you. The question of what will be. How do I know what tomorrow will bring? Well, let's take a moment. Look at what has been. Why is that important? As Pastor Michael brought that out, because rooted in that, you get a sense of what God will do. You see God's track record. God will do. God will be with you. He has been with us, and yet he will be. And that we're called to have confidence in that. Now, you might come today, maybe you're worried about the future. I'm not sure where you are um, and the things that you've been in the midst of. But I want to settle this word, let this word settle in your hearts this morning. What God will do. Well, if I think back over the years, well, God has been with us. He has been faithful. He's proved it time and time again even when we didn't see it. So what will tomorrow bring? I mean, this actually calls us to have some confidence about what will be. He will be with us. So you see the history of Israel. Now, obviously, it doesn't stop with Israel because if we journey into the New Testament, we have the same promise. And if I could just reference John chapter 14 as Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, the comforter that will come. And he says to his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. When he gives us the great commission in Matthew 28, and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, God's goodness for one is rooted in God's nature, God's own character. So God is just good like that. That's just God's nature. God can't help but to be good. So that's the one confidence we have. But the other thing I want to draw your attention to are the beautiful promises that God continues to give. Actually, if you jump back to the book of Deuteronomy and, and, and it says, do not be afraid, God is with you. If you see that and look throughout the book, it is constantly repeated time and time again. The Lord will be with you. Be of courage. Don't be afraid. He will be with you. And it's spoken again and again and again. Well, I think because we need to be reminded. And Jesus does the same thing for his disciples. I will be with you. 
these beautiful promises and looking back at God's track record. God doesn't fail. So that's something I can take to the bank. I mean, I, I can hold on to that. That's, that's currency that I can walk into tomorrow with. Well, he's been with me and he backed that up and he says he will be with me. So I can take that into tomorrow. And so I'm praying that today that you are coming here with that. Even if you might be distraught or dismayed, um, you might be discouraged. But I want you to hold on to that word. What did God say? When you have those moments where you can't see your way, I want you to pull that up and remind each other. What did God say? What did he promise to do? I know what it looks like right now, but what did he say? Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I can hold to that world. I can hold on to that word. I won't forsake you. I will be with you. I will strengthen you. Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, mind you, as I said before, Joshua, he's got different battles to fight. He's got different giants to face. He's going to face things that Moses didn't face. He's going to walk the people through situations that Moses didn't walk them through. So he might come to those moments where he doesn't have a template for this. I remember what God did before in this scenario, but I've never seen this. What does he hold on to? What is he assured of? The word that God said, I will be with you. And so I'm asking this morning and I'm wanting to encourage you this morning. Can you hold on to that word? Because God has a perfect record. What word has God spoken to this church? Yes, we have the word, the scriptures, but specifically for new community, Bronzeville. What has God said to this church? What are the things that you're constantly repeating to each other of what God says about where you're going, what you're going to be, who you're going to be? I need you to pull those words up in this season and remind each other. Here's what God said. You can't see it right now, but here's what God said. Remember what he did, but let that be the currency that you walk into tomorrow with. That he will be with you. God will be good. Y'all better preach. <laughs> oh, that's good. Amen. So I have the honor to talk to you about the fact that the God we serve Yes, he has been good and he will be good because he is good. <laughs> My text today comes from the eighth chapter of Romans. Now, I encourage you to read that whole chapter at some point in time today. That's one of my favorite um, chapters of scripture in the Bible. Some of my favorite verses are in that chapter. And if you want to know how I think about God, a little bit about my theology, Romans 8 will tell you. But today... I'm going to preach from one of those verses, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I read that from the New King James Version. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And all the time. Now, because of the way that culture spreads... You could probably go just about anywhere in the world, at least anywhere in the world where there are black people. So that means just about anywhere in the world. And you can start that. You can shout out into a crowd. God is good. And there's going to be at least one or two other people who will be able to come behind you and say all the time. This thing that we say, this cute little expression, this little moment that happens in churches, it contains some powerful truths. Two powerful truths. The first truth that I want to talk to you about has to do with God. God is good. God's character is steadfast. In other words, God is not changeable. God is not becoming God's self. He is not maturing. He is not evolving in response to our changing world. God is who God is and who God is, is good. God 
is good. It is his nature. It, he can't be anything but good. The second truth is conditioned on this first one, and it has to do with us. All the time, God is good. Romans 8, 28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. What does this mean? So very glad you asked. (laughs) There is absolutely nothing that exists beyond the reach of God's goodness. Further, this is as true today, right now, as it was at the very foundations of the earth, and as it will be for the rest of eternity. There is nothing past, present, or future that can evade the reach of God's goodness to those he has called, to those he loved so much that he gave his son To die for. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that all things are good. Far from that. Both global history and our own personal stories testify to the fact that there are valleys of dry bones. And there are seasons in our lives when we find ourselves standing dead center in the middle of those valleys of dry bones. Romans 8.28 is not a call to radical delusion. The expectation is not that as believers, we should try to find silver linings on hurricane level clouds. Far from that. The God we serve calls us to walk back and forth in those valleys of dry bones, to look at them, to see them clearly, to assess the situation and know exactly what's going on and realize that we are absolutely powerless to do anything to fix it. (laughs) That it is outside of our reach, outside of our hands. No, all things are not good. But as Colossians 1.17 testifies, our God is before all things, and by him all things are held together. So what does this mean for us? So I said earlier that the second truth has to do with us. Us is an important word. Us, the people of God. I did not say you. I did not say me. See, I believe that one of the reasons that some folks struggle with the idea that God is good and with this verse in particular is because it's often when we read these words that Paul spoke, that all things work together for good of those who love God and have been called according to his purposes, often we make an immediate shift from the broad to the narrow, from the communal to the individual. And so in doing this, this powerful verse becomes a word about the isolated circumstances of your individual life. The things that are happening right now to me, to the people that I love. And see, when we look at it that way, it can be really hard to believe that God is good. When you've watched someone struggle with addiction or suffer with illness... And you've seen them die despite praying, despite all the things that you do. It's hard to believe that that is somehow for my good. And anybody who would want to, in a moment like that, tell you that you just need to quickly pivot to the fact that God is good. You say, God bless you. (laughs) And then you find somebody else to talk to. Amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) Amen. See, this text is not just about our individual lives. This text is not just about the particular moment that you find yourself standing in right now. God's goodness and God's project of working all things together for our good is a truth about the whole of time and the whole of history. All that has been, all that is, all that will be. 
not just the present, but that which came before us and that which will come after us. That all means all, all things to all those who have been called by God. This is why what is written on the backs of our t-shirts can be taken as just a whole sentence instead of three separate phrase. God has been, is, will be good all the time. (laughs) To grasp the truth of this text, our starting point must be the whole of time and the entirety of the world that God so loved. God's goodness doesn't start with us. And our, and it's not just, it begins with us and extends outward. No, God's goodness is the air that we breathe. It is the sustaining force of our lives. It is what orients time itself. God is good and we are held and kept in that goodness. This fact is why a man who spent the vast majority of his ministry in prison could write the words found in Romans eight twenty eight. This is why that man could speak so powerfully and so beautifully of joy. God is good. See, when we begin to grasp a portion of the goodness of God, like the psalmist, we too can declare with confidence that we will behold the goodness of God in the land of the living. God is right now working all things together for our good. God is right now working in all things that have happened. Things that happened generations ago. Things that ain't happened yet. God is right now working in all things for our good. And just in case you are still not convinced, I implore you to consider the cross, the cross, the very thing that is the, the definer of our faith, the cross testifies to this fact. Jesus was tortured and crucified on a cross. He died in one of the most painful and humiliating ways a person can die. His mother had to watch him suffer and die on that cross while folks stood back and laughed and mocked. See, that story loses something because we tell it all the time. Can you imagine? There is nothing good about that. His beaten and broken body bled out on a cross. There is nothing good about that. We too often want to jump to a resurrection, but sometimes we need to sit there. There is nothing good about that. That was the sinfulness of humanity on full display. But even that could not escape the reach of God's goodness. You and I are here this morning celebrating 13 years because of that. And there will be people, God willing, 113 years or however much that math was from now celebrating the goodness of God because of that moment. God is right now working in all things for our good and for the good of those who come before us and for the healed memories of those who came behind us. God is good all the time. And all the time, hey, God is good. And all the time, it won't always feel good to you, but your God is good. Amen. Is it raining? Let's pray. God, thank you for the rain. We are in a drought right now in this state, and there have been people praying for rain. There have been, there have been people who feed us, uh, who grow our food, who have been praying for rain. And so I, I just want to pause and acknowledge the serendipity of an anniversary weekend in the midst of a drought. 
where you send rain. So we say thank you. We say thank you for your rain. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your timing. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to take a few minutes. I'm going to take a few minutes. You heard three sermons. I'm going to end with a testimony. It's not a sermon. It's a testimony. Uh, But if I were to title my testimony, I would title my testimony, Your Foolish Pastor. Or alternatively, Your Weak Pastor. Or alternatively, Your Lowly Pastor. Uh, And this is a testimony. This is not a sermon. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about me than I'm typically comfortable uh, talking about myself. In, uh, In 2008, Maggie and I moved from the western suburbs where we were living and working. Maggie at a social services agency. I as an associate pastor. To the north side to join Pastor Michael and the Dodsons, some of you, at New Community Covenant Church, Logan Square. I was called to join the church as an associate pastor. And I was excited about that call because this was a church that had a heart for the city of Chicago, and I had a heart for the city of Chicago. This was a church that desired to be intentionally multiracial for the sake of the gospel, that the the beautiful gospel that Pastor Michelle just preached would be uh, not just expressed verbally, but literally demonstrated in the makeup of the community itself. And this was a church that had a heart for church planting. This church wanted to see other churches started in the city of Chicago. And I was excited about all three of those things. And as I was getting to know the pastor of that church, Pastor Peter Hong, as he was inviting me to join the church staff, I said, Pastor Peter, would you ever plant a church with a white man as a church planter? And he said, it is highly unlikely. (laughs) Uh, Almost 100% no. And I said, well, that's good enough for me. Because I don't even know if I'm called to be a church planter or not. I just want to be around it. I want to support it. But I want to be a part of a community that if we were to discern together that I'm supposed to do this, that the door wouldn't be slammed 100% shut. And as I came on that ministry staff in 2008, that church had already discerned that they would plant a congregation in this neighborhood. Big part of that was Carlos and Pastor Michelle Dodson. Because they were a part of the community already. There were other, you can clap for that, that's all right. There were other leaders who were a part of this neighborhood already. And collectively, they said, we believe this is where God's calling us to plant a church. And there's only one problem. There was no pastor to lead this church. But apparently, that was not a problem to this group of people. They were not going to wait around for a pastor because they knew that God was calling them to plant this church. And so my responsibilities at that time had absolutely nothing to do with church planting. I was the small groups pastor. Um, But I was told by our pastor to start helping out with some of the behind the scenes administrative details for this church plant. So we started gathering together on Sunday mornings at Logan Square before worship just to pray together. And then we would gather down here. And some of you will remember, uh, we met at the Bronzeville Coffee House. Was the first, was the first place we met. It's, it's called Sip and Saver now. Some of you know Sip and Saver. And then we met at uh, the Bronzeville Community Clubhouse. And that's still there. And then we met at, at Catholic Theological Union. And we picked up some of you at Promontory Point at a cookout. And we just started inviting people and gathering people and and that was my job, just behind the scenes to, to, to do that kind of administrative stuff. And then Pastor Michael said, well, you know, you are going to need somewhere to meet, like for worship. And so he and I drive around Bronzeville, and he's like a historian of the South Side. So he's telling me all the stuff and the stories, and, and we're looking for a place to meet. And, and yesterday I was talking to a couple people, one who's been at the church since the very beginning. And she was, she was reminding us that, that we didn't know where we were going to meet up until, well, I mean, it was tight. It's just what I'll say. It was very, very tight. And Carlos kind of helped us find Drake Elementary. And Carlos, I don't know if you remember this, but the initial price they quoted us at Drake was like a mortgage times 10. It was so expensive. We're like, well, that's not it. And then God did something miraculous and the price came down despite CPS's best intentions. That's what I'll say there. And we were able to move into, into Drake. And anyways, all along the way, we're going, who's going to be our pastor? Who's going to be our pastor? And let me tell you something. We just knew 
that the pastor of this church was going to be a black woman or man. We, we knew it so much, but I don't think we actually prayed about it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, it was just accepted wisdom. Clearly, we are in Bronzeville. This is an African-American neighborhood. This is going to be a multiracial church. I could, have, I could have taught a lecture on why in order to be a successfully multiracial congregation and upend societal norms of white supremacy, you cannot have a white pastor of a multiracial church. I think I actually did that. And so we're like, so who is going to be the pastor of this church? And we tried Michael. And he just laughed. We tried, we tried Charlie Dates, who was an associate pastor at Salem at the time. I don't even know if he returned our email. He said a multiracial what? Pastor Michael and I hatched a scheme where we're going to take out Carlos and Michelle Dodson to Yasa. Have you eaten at Yasa? It was farther south then, so we had to really, you know... And we were going to wine and dine. I don't think there was any wine, but we were going to dine them and, and lay out this spread and make the case of why Pastor Michelle should be the pastor of this church. I don't, I don't even know that they heard anything we said. I don't even think they said we'll pray about it. So. We have our first worship service planned for early, no, late February 2010. We still don't have a pastor. It's January. We still don't have a pastor. Pastor Michael, myself, Pastor Peter Hong are in Denver for a pastor's conference. Pastor Michael, Pastor Peter said, David, we need to have dinner. So we go out to dinner at an Irish restaurant. And they said, you need to be the pastor of this church. Now, Maggie and I had a sense that this might be a possibility. We didn't think it really would happen. And we didn't necessarily, no, we definitely didn't want it to happen. But we knew it would be a possibility. And so I could say, okay, pretty quickly. And there was so much going on at that time. It was so busy. It was so hectic that, to be honest with you, I didn't really have time to think a whole lot about this. I just, we all had a lot to get done. And for the next three years, I had an ongoing argument with God about why I was the wrong person to pastor this church. And I had my list, and it was very well thought out. And you would agree with most of the things on my list. On paper, you'd be like, you're right about that. You are absolutely 100% right about that. And during that time, I was meeting monthly with my spiritual director, who you saw on the screen, Reverend Debbie Blue, still my spiritual director. And I would meet with her and just sort of lament this call. Say, Debbie, I am the wrong person for this. This church will not be able to be who God wants it to be with me as the pastor. I am a liability and not an asset. And on and on, month after month. And Debbie would listen. Some of you know Debbie. She listened quietly. And then at the end, she would just always ask me the same question. David, is it possible that God has called you? That's all she would say. And I would sort of mumble, well, it's possible. You know, I know in God all things are possible. But I, I didn't really believe that it was possible. Uh, maybe I just needed to hang in there a little bit longer until Pastor Michelle got the word from the Spirit. And then I bumped into a, a passage that was familiar, but felt brand new. And it's from 1 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There was a moment spending time in that passage when a whole world cracked open to me. And the world that cracked open to me was the realization that God had not called me to be your pastor because of my wisdom or my strength or any kind of acumen. That the very reason God gave me this assignment was that it would be an assignment that would broadcast my foolishness. That would make plain my weakness. That would make abundantly clear my lowliness. And that might sound depressing, but it wasn't depressing to me. That might sound discouraging to you, but, but to me, after three months of three years of profound insecurity... I felt like I was able to see something. That all I had to do was to say yes to being a foolish pastor. That all I had to say is, is yes to embracing the weakness that was already true about me. That the invitation for me was to accept the call to lowliness. Rather than a claim. Rather than lifting myself up. And I want to just testify to you today how good that has been. And I've not always gotten it right. And I have felt the tug and the temptation like the rest of us to, to sound smarter than I am, to act stronger than I am, uh, to stray away from the lowly path of Jesus to something more glamorous or culturally interesting. But I am very, very thankful for the call to weakness and lowliness and foolishness. I'm glad, and it took me longer than it should have, but I'm thankful that I woke up to the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is made wise in our foolishness and strong in our weakness and beautifully powerful in our lowliness. My gut is that each of us in some place in our life today is feeling tempted by the way of power or the way of wisdom or the way of self-elevation. That, that each of us, just given the air that we breathe and the ground that we walk on, find some invitation to forsake the way of the gospel and the way of the gospel is always, always, always to simply give our full selves exactly as we are to Jesus. And you see, Jesus had to bring me into a context where everything that I thought I could count on was no longer an asset but a liability. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is always, always, always enough. When we just bring our full selves to whatever God has invited us to, to whatever God is calling us to. 
And so for each of us who find ourselves on some kind of a temp, uh, intersection, being tempted away from simply bringing our full, lowly, weak, foolish selves. Here again, the invitation of the gospel. That God doesn't need you to be anything that you're not. That God doesn't need you to become anything that you're not. That God doesn't need you to fake it until you make it. That in your frailty, in your sinfulness, in your stumbling, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be made beautiful. Wise salvation to the world. I want to keep being a foolish, weak, and lowly pastor. And when you see me going the other way, just grab me by my ear, like my teachers used to do. They don't forget. But I want our church as well for the next 13 years to embrace the inherent goodness of being a foolish church, of being a weak church, of being a lowly church. I I want us to be the sort of congregation where we literally can take no credit for any of the good fruit that the Spirit produces among us because we're bad at technology. (laughs) Because it's super hot in here. The list goes on. Because you don't have a phenomenal pastor. You have a weak and a lowly and a foolish pastor. I I want us new community for the next season ahead of us to just get our arms around the fact that we are a weak and lowly and foolish church and that there is room here for other weak and lowly and foolish people to encounter a wise and powerful and loving God who just is good. So, Spirit of the living God, we are so thankful that you've given us, some of us 13, 14, 15 years on the story, some of us a month at this church to testify that you always make your dwelling, your home in our weakness, in our foolishness, in our lowliness. And that from that, you resurrect power, provision, joy, hope, and a profound confidence, as we've heard proclaimed to us today, of the goodness of our God. Meet us in our weakness. Meet us in our foolishness. Meet us in our lowliness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.